welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-host, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Welcome to spooky season. (laughs) I have actually been dying to cover this case for months now. Basically, as soon as I found it, I just had to do it. Absolutely. This is one of the cases that the answers are kind of right in front of their faces, but they just missed the details. Yeah, I agree. Today we will be covering, for those of you that aren't aware, the Dardine Family Massacre. Now, we have covered so many different cases, but it's been a minute since we've covered anything pretty gruesome. So just make sure, guys, viewers' discretion is advised. Make sure that little listening ears aren't around because this one's pretty traumatizing, to say the least. Yeah, we definitely do not want to waste any more time. This is the second episode of our Halloween season. This case takes place in the 1980s in Ina, Illinois, in a very small community. When we say a small community, I mean like 460 people, kind of small, at the beginning of the 80s. Yeah, that's pretty small, and... By the time they got to the 90s, which is a decade later, it only went up to 489. Only 29 more people moved there between 10 years, which is very weird. Very weird and extremely small. Pretty much everybody knows everybody at that point. I mean, you only have 400 people, basically. Pretty much. Probably because of a lot of crime did take place there, though. This town basically had... Just your basic needs. It had a gas station, a firehouse, a bank, and a grocery store. There really wasn't anything else there. And in 1986, Keith Russell and Ruby Elaine Dardine moved with their son, Peter. Both adults enjoyed going by their middle names, so we'll refer to them as Keith and Elaine today. They moved from Mount Carmel, which was Keith's hometown, and it was approximately 80 miles from Ina. Elaine was originally from Albion, Illinois, and Keith was only 29 years of age, and Elaine was 30 years at the time. Keith was a plant operator at the Rend Lake Water Conservancy District. Now, once he was done with all his training, the couple bought a beige and white mobile home. They also rented some land around Route 37, which was also across the street from a railroad. Their landlords, Lloyd and Joanne Settled, lived right next to them on a farmland. Now, once Keith and Elaine were settled, Elaine found a job working at Staples, and the family was very much about the church life. And it was actually a pretty small Baptist church, I mean, considering it's only a few people, and they were very active in the church band. Keith was the lead vocalist in this band. And Elaine played the piano. Now, according to sources, everyone in the congregation was extremely fond of them. Rock on. They still, to this day, take extreme pride in this particular band. Now, they spent a lot of time putting away money for Peter's college funds at a young age. And Keith had this, like, on-the-side soda business, which wasn't really a business. He would just buy soda from Kroger's and then resell the soda at work and make a profit off of it so he could put that money away for his kid. 
Now, anyone who doesn't know what Kroger's is, it is a grocery store, which I'm assuming is a grocery store in the town. Now, Elaine ended up finding out that she was pregnant for the second time, and they were even more focused now on saving because now they had two children to take care of. Now, Keith was very protective of his family. Who wouldn't? He always would make sure that all the doors were locked in his house, all the windows. He would never let anyone in the home. There was a lot of crime, as we said earlier, that did take place in that small town. So makes sense why he would be very protective of his family. And Keith made a rule to never answer the door. As time passed, Keith was not happy living in Ida at all and had expressed to his mother and I'm sure to Elaine as well that he wanted to move back to Mount Carmel. Now, he was making plans to go back to Mount Carmel, and he did stress even more to his mother that he had regretted moving to Ida. He said, even if I can't find a job in Mount Carmel, it still felt like it was a better place to be and a better place to raise a family. He often would tell this to his mother, but he just did not feel like he was safe there in Ida. He never explained any more than that, though. There was no other details given why. At the time that all of this was going on, there had been increased rapes and murders. And over the past two years, there were 15 murders in that county, including one for a 10-year-old girl. There is also some seriously spooky shit going on in that town. And one day I want to cover it. So stay tuned. Now, Keith decided to put his mobile home up for sale. There was an instance at one point where a young woman had knocked on the door and she asked if she can use their phone. Keith said no, no thank you, and then turned her away and closed the door. Now from what I gathered from Keith, she looked a little shady. And if she had looked wholesome, he probably would have let her in. Which is kind of weird since he said no one is to come in the house and I don't want to answer the door. So like... What made him want to answer the door, though, for this particular woman? It's a little strange to me. Now, when Elaine was about seven and a half months pregnant and Peter was about three years old at this time, they had picked out baby names and they wanted Casey for a girl and Ian if it was a boy. Now, on November 17th, 1987, heading into the 18th, Keith was scheduled for an overnight shift, but he never showed up, which was extremely unlike him. And if there was usually like an issue, he would call and let them know he was sick or whatever the case may be. Now, his supervisor became worried and decided to call his house. Unfortunately, nobody answered the phone. And then he continued to call the rest of the day with still no answer. This supervisor at the time decided, I'm going to call Keith's parents to see if they were able to get in touch with Keith since they weren't able to. Now, obviously, they were able to get in touch with Keith's father, and he decided to contact the sheriff's department. Now, they did agree to meet outside of the mobile home and use Don, which is Keith's father's name, his key to get in. And this was basically to do a welfare check. Now, the police did meet Don at the mobile home around 6.30 p.m. Obviously, they tried to knock on the door. Nobody answered. They walked around the side of the house to the back door, and decided to use a flashlight to look inside. The officers saw people under the blankets on the bed. But when they knocked, nobody was moving. Now, for those of you who are crime buffs like me, 
When a blanket or something along those lines are placed on top of people, that's usually a sign of remorse. Absolutely is. Also potentially a sign that they may know the person personally. Absolutely. Now, the police officer then decided to turn the knob and the door automatically opened. And what he saw was beyond shocking. Now, tucked under the blanket was the bodies of Elaine and Peter and a very tiny newborn infant. They then noticed that they had been bound and duct taped, and it looked as though they were initially bound to some sort of chair. Peter was found bound and gagged. They had beaten him severely by a baseball bat. The same bat that Keith had purchased Peter and Elaine and Peter were both bludgeoned in the face and in the head, and they both had fractured skulls. Elaine was well in her third trimester of pregnancy, and she had gone into premature labor due to her being beaten so badly. Investigators are not sure if this was because she was beaten or if it was because she had watched her son get murdered. They also had no idea if she was alive during the delivery. Now, once the baby was born, they used the baseball bat to kill the baby as well. And all these family members died of the same thing, blunt force trauma. The killer also did try to clean up the scene, but because there was so much blood, it was nearly impossible. I mean, perhaps maybe they were cleaning up the parts of their own evidence amongst everything else. That is actually a very good point. Elaine also was not raped. There was jewelry, a camera, a VCR still at the scene, and there was money in the house as well. I mean, that is strange, like why they didn't take anything. But what was also strange was that Keith was also nowhere to be found. And their red Plymouth was also gone. He also had a truck, but that was still at the house. Now, I mean, coming into this, obviously Keith's gone. He's going to be suspect number one since they couldn't find his body at first. The police put out a call to put roadblocks up and try to attempt to find this red Plymouth. The police also went to Mount Carmel to talk to the family as well. The police spoke to Anita and she remembers the police saying that Keith had been the one to do this, asking where Keith was. Early the next day, the Plymouth was found and it was covered in blood, which was parked outside of a bank in Benton, Illinois, approximately 10 miles from the mobile home. And just to clarify, Anita is Keith's sister, but there was still no sign of Keith. Blood all inside the car. Finally, a group of hunters were passing by a wheat field, and that was actually fairly close to the Dardines' home. Now, they did end up coming across a body. The body that they found was, in fact, Keith's. One mile from the mobile home, 11 miles from where the car was found, and Keith was not found in the best condition either. He was shot three times in the front of his skull, and also through his left cheek, and he was not beaten, but he was also castrated. Now, there's also a rumor that after they had cut off his penis, they put it inside of his mouth. Obviously, the town was distraught and horrified, especially with what took place with the toddler. And the infant. 
Now, a Southern Illinois television station had added $10,000 to a reward fund in the investigation into the murders of Keith Dardine and his family. Now, relatives also of the Dardine's family also put out $10,000 as a reward fund, which brings the total now to $20,000. Eventually, it got raised to $30,000, and 30 officers were working on this case full time. Well, they were able to interview 100 people. Still, with all of this, no solid leads. One neighbor said that the couple was raising Labrador retrievers, and then there was a man that would often come in and out of the home. But the neighbors were also not sure if it was the same man or if it was multiple different men coming in and out. Apparently, this neighbor had asked Elaine who this person was. And she had stated it was a friend of Keith's, and then she changed the subject. Now, a lot of people feel like this was the killer or one of Keith's friends. There's a lot of suspects. We're going to talk about the two main suspects. And basically, the first one would be Rafael Ramirez. Now, he had often hopped on and off trains killing people and got back on the train and would just carry on with his way. They believed it could be him because they lived right across the street from the train tracks and his M.O. was beating people to death like the Dardine family. So that's why he was a suspect. Now he was charged, but there was no evidence brought forward. But another serial killer suspect was much more promising in this case. Tommy Lynn Sells. Now, he left home at 13 years old because of a sexual abuse that he received as a child. And by the time he was 14, he was addicted to killing. Sounds like Michael Myers. He ended up killing 10-year-old girls, and he did get caught. He confessed to killing the Dardine family, claiming he found religion and God. After he confessed to the Dardine murders, they said they got their guy. The issue was that his story kept changing. He said he met Keith at a truck stop and then later changed it to saying he met him at a pool hall. Which makes no sense for either option because Keith was extremely suspicious of people. So, you know, why in the hell would he just randomly allow someone he doesn't really know to come into his house? Absolutely agree there. Hey, creepy looking dude, come on over with me. I know I didn't let a you know young girl come into my house to use the phone before, but you seem totally sane with zero issue. Yeah, he even went as far as saying that Elaine and Keith had invited him in and wanted to have a three-way with him. Right, while they shared one bed with their toddler. Hey, stranger, we just met and we met you at a bus stop, but really we want to have sex with you. Which does not fit Keith or Elaine's MO being the churchgoers and, you know, religious people that they were. They would definitely not have a threesome, in my opinion. Apparently, they triggered him when they said they shared a bed with their son. It is quite possible that he could have been triggered for that particular reason, but I'm just not buying this entire story in any capacity. Me neither. And then the story changed one more time. And then he said he hopped off the train because he had seen the house was for sale and apparently he had knocked on the door pretending that he wanted to buy the house change the story to be more believable but nope a liar of the pathological kind now according to him keith let him in and then he just killed him he then raped elaine 
but we all know that she was not raped. Bingo, she also just gave birth. He knew a lot of details about the case, but I'm feeling like it's because he enjoyed watching and hearing about disturbing murders and would get off on it and take credit for the killing because, you know, he didn't do it, but he admired it. Now, as a seasoned murderer, Tommy Linsells was put to death in Texas via lethal injection as the only suspect in the case. Now, I have been dying for all of you to know what we feel on this, but I'll tell you guys, it's going to make sense. And it's also going to make you go, oh my God. Let's go back here for a brief moment. I'm going to say about eight months prior to this situation taking place. So before they wanted to leave to go back to Mount Carmel. Precisely. I would say that from what I get from Keith, He was obviously not happy at his job because he felt like it was boring and he wanted more out of a career. He wasn't necessarily feeling like it was a good fit for him. Yeah, he got along with people, but it just wasn't his thing. However, he enjoyed his church community quite a bit. And I do feel like this was a pretty significant piece. And I don't necessarily think that the church was just for like the 400 people there. I think it was like a congregation in and around the county. So in what way do you think that this church was a significant piece? Now, as stated above, Keith was the lead singer in the band. And you know what happens with lead singers. They get some sort of kind of fans. I see that there was a woman who was completely infatuated with Keith. I see that she was constantly locking eyes with him across the room at church when he would perform. I also see that Keith was extremely kind to her. And I feel like she may have been a single mom. I'm also feeling like she had an extremely abusive partner, possibly a big drunk. But I'm also seeing that this guy may have died. But I'll get into that part a little later. Either way, she was completely emotionally unstable And I feel like she had two children of her own. Was this woman part of the church? She absolutely was part of the congregation. She joined this congregation because she was looking to find a way to be part of something bigger and perhaps find a new wholesome man. Anyways, from what I can see, she was incredibly infatuated with Keith and she absolutely hated Elaine. She was building things up in her head mostly that Keith was the love of her life and that he was in love with her. Now, originally I thought he may have had an affair with her, but I'm really not seeing that. This was like a single white female kind of thing. She would often come up with reasons to be around Keith, whether she needed something fixed or she needed to give him muffins or she was just struggling with her kids, she would use her single mother card to the highest degree, even though she was definitely single. But I'm seeing that she had um, a brother as well. He also lived under her roof, who was a much bigger species than she was. So what was the reason, like... Her brother lived with her. Was there like a sort of physical or maybe a mental disability? You're right on point there. Yeah, I can see that he absolutely did. Now, from what I see, most of the time he was a gentle giant, but when provoked, could act out pretty badly. Unfortunately, those kinds of people are very easily manipulated. I agree with you on that. 
Now, from what I gather, she would make it a point to communicate with Keith all the time and compliment his vocals and tell him how precious his son was. I don't necessarily feel like at this point he and Elaine had expressed that they were having a second child, but she had built up this relationship in her head. And I, I think she's like was hoping she would get pregnant with his kid somehow. And, you know, people, they definitely try to do that, especially since people take things, you know, differently or they take them the wrong way. For instance, one perspective may see something somebody else completely doesn't see at all. Ergo, the love is blind show. <laughs> anyway, she continued to flirt with him for quite a while. And once he had announced he was having a baby, in her mind, this baby was hers, not Elaine's. And I believe that she may have believed she was actually pregnant by him, which she was not. So you can understand why I believed that Keith was having an affair because this woman believed it so badly. Do you have a name for her or her brother at all? I'm feeling an association with the name Susie or Susan or Susanna. Something in the family there. And the brother, I'm thinking maybe Paul. Both white and from what I can see... She had pretty long blonde hair. I do believe she bleached it. She definitely spiked it up in that old school way. And Paul, I would say he was about six foot two to six foot four. Definitely hard to miss. He could be overbearing at times, very klutzy. He didn't know personal boundaries. But I can tell you that he did live with his sister. So because of that, he felt like he was her personal bodyguard. And I feel like she was his caregiver as well, since I think both of the parents had also passed on at this point. Her brother definitely may have felt like it was like his responsibility, you know, to take care of her. Oh, yeah. She did control him a lot and she would make him do like all the masculine jobs around the home and outside of the home and even got him to volunteer his time with the church. Now, I do not feel like the church goers were as fond of him because like I said earlier, he was a little overbearing and in your face. However, they just kept those feelings about him quiet and they would talk amongst each other like, you know, normal church gossip. It was also a very small area. So, you know, everyone knows everyone. Yep. And from what Elaine tells me, Keith and her were really well liked. They were part of the group of people that loved them. No one had anything bad to say about them in any capacity except that they were extremely giving and kind and wonderful human beings. Now, one day, a little after they had found out they were expecting their daughter, a small announcement was made, perhaps amongst friends. I, I'm not sure how. I don't feel like it was, you know, in the congregation or anything. Either way, this woman happened to be present while this happened, or at least in an earshot way. To hear details because she was super obsessed with him and that is when everything changed and I feel like her mind was set she was pregnant with his kid I feel like she had one other friend another female I do not believe that she was attached to the church though and I feel like this female was told these details about how Susie was pregnant with this guy's baby Anyway, moving forward a few months, I do feel like there was a moment in time where Elaine may have not been feeling well or something along those lines where she wasn't around. Keith had the opportunity to be alone with this woman. 
And at that exact time, she made a pass at him. And I feel like it was a pretty significant pass. She may have tried to kiss him or suggest that she was pregnant with his baby all in the same instance, like cuckoo. And I see Keith was obviously triggered. I feel like he told her that it would simply not true and that he was married and he was in love with Elaine. Being the gentleman that he was, though, he felt bad for the woman and told her that she was a wonderful human being and she would find someone someday. He also did not disclose this information to his wife because he didn't want to upset her in her pregnancy. I mean, I understand why he would, you know, keep something like that from her in that moment. Should have told her later on, though, which is probably another reason why he was not comfortable being there in Ida anymore and he wanted to go back to Mount Carmel. He says that was definitely one of the multiple reasons why he wanted to go but this was definitely a pretty significant one and since she wasn't getting the hint I believe that he stopped being so kind to her. In fact I feel like he triggered her pretty significantly and told her she was crazy and told her that she needed to leave him alone and he was going to contact the police. So what was she doing? She was stalking his home, sitting outside. I mean, we didn't have social media back then, so I'm not sure if there was a playground somewhere nearby, but perhaps maybe when he and Elaine would take their child places, she'd be there too. She would also smile at him and blow him kisses, and he's showing me that she would even show her breasts to him from across the room. She became pretty obsessive over a very short period of time. I mean, it definitely sounds like that. The day before the massacre took place, I'm sensing the two of them had some sort of interaction again. And this really set her off. He doesn't know exactly what set her off more than normal, but I believe he drew a line in the sand. I also believe he told her he was going to tell the entire congregation of what she had been up to. He also called her derogatory names, which he feels is another reason she was extremely mad at him. He also said that he may have alluded to the fact that the reason her husband was dead was because of her. I mean, that's enough to set anybody off. You never call a crazy person crazy. They will show you how crazy they really are. And I might want to mention as well, I, I do believe she's the one who did kill her husband. Anyway... From what I gather, I do see that she used her connections to Elaine on this particular day. I'm not exactly sure what they had purchased. It could have been the puppies, but I'm not clear on that. But anyways, she, the last like month and a half, was trying to kind of cozy up to Elaine as much as she could. And from the sounds of it, Elaine did befriend her. Keith may have warned her like, I don't know about her, but she, you know, had a big heart and she was like, I can probably save her. Anyways, if Keith had told Elaine what was going on, he probably could have saved himself a whole heck of a lot of hassle. But anyway, Elaine and her often talked gossip amongst the congregation. She also didn't understand why people didn't like her too much. I feel like Elaine gave her that chance. She shows me that this woman was very kind but very suspicious as well because she did talk a lot about Keith. As a big fan of his and his musical talent, she would ask Elaine to help her learn how to play the piano. In her mind, it was to like replace Elaine. Anyway, that could be the reason that she came to the home. Again, I'm not sure. 
But from what I gathered, Elaine was home. Obviously, her son Peter was there and Keith was also in the home. Now, I do believe that Keith may have been watching television and I feel like Elaine was just about to prepare dinner or something along those lines. She wasn't feeling well this particular day because she was obviously pregnant and it was starting to get to the end. And she was taking her time getting her family organized this day. Now, I do feel like a knock at the door came. Instantly, Elaine said she would get it and I see that Peter ran off to the door as well. All I'm saying is, don't open the door. (laughs) Now, from what I gather, Susan and her brother were there together. And she asked if she could speak to Elaine and it was urgent and she needed to have a conversation right away. And that this time I feel like Keith had recognized her voice instantly and got up to see what was going on. I believe he had been in the kitchen at some point in the sitting area and there may have been food close by. But from what I can see at this point, Susie was telling Elaine about how she was pregnant with Keith's child. Obviously, Elaine was extremely confused and unsure where this was coming from. Now, she shows me she confronted Keith and he informed her that none of this took place and he had been dodging this woman the last couple of months. What a shit show. Now, at this point, he had said he was not inviting her in and I feel as though this Paul person grabbed the baseball bat and started to threaten to hurt people if he didn't start telling the truth. And as soon as they started to get escalated, Elaine got very concerned and grabbed her son quickly and tried to shield him from what was going on. I also believe she was asking everyone to leave and go outside and have this conversation. She was also getting extremely upset and honestly I feel like this is possibly one of the points as to when her labor started to kick in. Now Susie continued to spew out complete and utter lies expressing that she had gotten pregnant and how she got pregnant and going into very disturbing details about their sexual experiences between her and Keith that never transpired. And at this point everyone was extremely emotional and Paul had told Keith to sit down. He then was instructed by his sister to tie up Elaine and Peter And they were going to have some fun trying to get all of these lies out. Now, as he bound them together, little Peter was obviously screaming his head off. And the woman proceeded to ask questions where Keith continued to say nothing had been going on. Peter was the first one to be bludgeoned. Now, which is what set Elaine into full-blown labor. From what I gather, the woman said that it was her baby and she was taking the baby from Elaine. Elaine obviously started screaming because her son was dead. This woman, Susie, may have had some sort of experience with nursing, so she was able to help Elaine give birth to the baby. But from what I gather, the baby was breathing, even though it was so tiny, and it looks like she was pretty strong. It really pissed Susan off, and she told her brother to kill the baby because Elaine was, like, completely... You know, it's her kid. She wants her baby and to kill it. Elaine then lost it even more and screamed and she wanted to die. They stopped her from screaming and beat her with a baseball bat as well. And I see they had also tied Keith up at some point, but he was not bound to anything. Now, at this point, Keith really had nothing to live for. He was numb. He had lost everything. He didn't want to let his family know what happened. From the sounds of it, Susie told him she would have let him live if he followed her direction. 
She then cleaned up the evidence that may have had any fingerprints, any sort of DNA, any sort of attachments to this particular crime. And she got her brother to move the bodies to the bed. She felt bad for Elaine because she had started to grow a fondness at this point and also Peter. So she covered them up with a sheet out of respect. She told Keith that he needed to get into the vehicle or she would blow his brains out. She did have a gun on her and I believe she was pointing the gun at him. She also told her brother to get into their own vehicle and take it back home. She told him that she would call him when she was ready to go home. Well, that makes sense why there was no other vehicles, you know, on the property. Because if they had taken his vehicle, how would they have gotten there to begin with? Exactly. Now, people could have jumped off a train, but not in this particular situation. She decided to make him drive and told him where to go. She told him that she needed money and that he needed to give her some money. He obviously was hysterical and she had the gun pointed at him the whole time. They drove off to that area where they found his car. I wouldn't say it's the exact location, but fairly close. She then gave him the opportunity to be with her again, and he said he would rather burn in hell, and that's exactly what ended up happening. She shot him and castrated him. He doesn't show me if he had the penis in his mouth, but I'm really believing it was there. Obviously... They didn't have cell phones back then. I feel like she found a payphone and asked her brother to meet her where she was. The two of them moved the body and then cleaned up the vehicle as much as they could, at least to remove their evidence. She told the brother to abandon the vehicle. I believe she actually told him to go elsewhere with the vehicle, but instead he decided to take it to where the bank was. She was hoping he would have left it in some sort of wooded area. She was extremely paranoid that she was going to get caught, but they were too busy focusing on male suspects that didn't even cross their mind. And from what the Dardines show me, she found another man that looked very similar to Keith and married him and basically blames Keith for killing the entire family. What a crazy case. This woman took this situation just to the extreme, in my opinion. No kidding. I also believe that Paul, her brother, is no longer with us. I feel like he died at least 20 years ago. I know he was the one who killed them, but I feel like she was a real mastermind behind these unnecessary deaths. Absolutely. He just was following his sister's demands. She was definitely the mastermind. He was just like the brawn of the situation. Now, do we know if she's ever going to get caught? Part of the main reason I'm leaving this particular episode on the regular side of the podcast is because I want someone to speak up because there are people within this church congregation that are suspicious of this particular woman. Maybe not necessarily for killing Keith or his family, but just odd, weird things. And I feel like this woman is still alive. She has her children. She had a new child. Her new husband was like apparently living large at the time. She's also been involved in some fraud since their money situation is bad now. Maybe surrounding her brother's estate. I feel like she may be collecting checks or did collect checks for a while until after he had died. I mean, makes a lot of sense. Now, obviously, the family is now together again. Oh, yeah, they are. And the little girl really didn't feel anything. She didn't have any sort of life. So she didn't suffer. Peter definitely suffered quite a bit, actually. He was a strong little guy, though. Even with him being bludgeoned the first couple of times, I'm sensing he was still alive. 
but they are all together and they're still roaming around and their home, at least the area of where their home used to be. There's a lot of spirits and ghosts up in that town that have been killed and murdered and they all kind of like hang out as a group over there. Is there anything else that the Dardines would like to share? Keith wants to make sure that people call the police when they feel like their lives are in danger. He says that he didn't realize how crazy this woman was and he should have called the police or at least told somebody about it because, you know, he kept all this information inside. His case was unsolved. I mean, absolutely. If he would have even told Elaine something like, you know what I mean? Maybe they could have been a little bit more prepared, you know, but definitely some good advice. Thank you very much for connecting with the Dardine family today. I can only imagine how tough that was to go through. Very tragic, very gruesome story. Now, next week, guys, we will be covering the episode of the Circleville Letters. This one will be a little bit different than what we normally cover, but it is part of the month for Halloween. So until next time, guys, stay freaked out.